0: Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at
1: CelebrationChurchLive.com.
0: Um, we're about to close up this series we've just called Roller Coaster. And in this, we have keep coming back to this truth. So if you have your UVersion app open, if you have your bulletin that we handed you, We have come to this sentence, this concept over and over 10 times now, 10 times that we have come to this concept that the joy in life is not about embracing the ups and avoiding the downs, but in knowing that no matter what life throws at us, that God loves us and will carry us forward. When we have that baseline. That God loves us and He will make a way even when there doesn't appear to be a way, then you know what? Then all of a sudden the highs in life don't define us, and the lows in life don't discourage us, and we keep moving forward and we keep growing, and we're not we're not bounced around like waves in the ocean, whichever way the wind blows, and we can have this solid place of moving forward and really experience joy. And as your pastor, Man, that's what I want to see. Man, life is full of tragedy and pain and full of beauty and wonder. And in the middle of it, God wants to be there with us hand in hand through every piece of it. We've come to this passage of scripture one more time where there in Romans 15, 13. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. It's as you do it. It is this thing, and I hope that some of you have begun to do that. And sometimes it can feel a little freaky. Sometimes it can feel a little unnerving to begin to go, okay, I'm going to begin to trust God. And then the joy and the peace come as you begin to see that He's with you and He's faithful. And it's so that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, you're not supposed to be the only beneficiary of this joy and peace that he it gives. It's supposed to overflow. It's supposed to begin to splash over. If, if you've been to any of the SeaWorld stuff, you know there's a splash zone and you can get so close and, and that more than likely you're going to get some salt water in your face and all over your clothes. And you know what? You ought to have a hope zone Splash zone in your life that somebody starts to get too close to you and they have a hard time being down They have a hard time being frustrated because you just keep overflowing with hope and we have gone through The story of joseph the last 14 chapters of the book of genesis and and we are now wrapping up We're in chapter 50. We're at the close Of genesis and we've looked at joseph's story and y'all have been so sweet and supportive of me As I have retold the story of Joseph every week over and over. And so from the very beginning of this, I was like, you know what? In week 10, I want to do something special. So Brian, can you go ahead and begin to make your way up here, buddy? And so I asked him, I asked Brian, a local poet, part of our community, graduate of our school of ministry. Um, Hey, that was a little flow. Did you see that? part of our community, school of ministry. Yeah, I can't do it. I'm going to leave this to Brian.
1: I align the kind of faith it takes to call the bluff and raise the stakes. Like Joseph, when he focused on the promise that our father makes. Instead of trying to live for gain, he lived for love and learned the pain was only for the moment when the pain is gone, the love remains. It all began in Canaan. Jacob's older sons were hating on a younger brother other brothers felt was Jacob's favorite, because he did like he was told, and the brothers felt controlled, then they really start to lose it because a multicolored coat, a blessing and a curse in the form of a robe was intended to be love, not an envied wardrobe. Then a day came when Joseph must have really felt bold, told him about a dream and how he seen the grain sheets bowed. Then a dream like a scene out of the first episode, not only was it every brother, but the dad and mother showed. If the brothers were a camelback, Joseph was the load, and the camelback cracked with the future load foretold. At only 17, was sold to Ishmaelites to be a slave by undercover brothers with an underlying jealous rage. They thought about a murder, thought about a well-extended stay, but greed was on the menu, so they chose to order getting paid. It didn't matter, slave or not, he kept the faith, and faith in God was how he made a way to stay, a line to live what weight a lot. Life goes on, but maybe not. The way we pray it stays or not. The faith we place in prayer isn't based upon our way or not. Knowing God has got you no exceptions, now that's faith in God. Stories just like this one in the Bible is what I base that on. Potiphar would buy Joseph from an Ishmaelite, but despite what is well known to be a dismal life, is the plight of a man cast in artificial light, meaning naked eye can only see as far as where you put your sight. So looking like a simple slave and made to serve another man, an unassuming person wouldn't guess he had the upper hand. Potiphar would see it soon with everyone throughout the land, but that's for then and this for now, halfway past where he began. It's no surprise to find out Joseph made a name with Potiphar, or wound up in a place where you and I would feel we're not secure. And is it news, the sight we lose is during times we're not for sure, speaking to and through me, Father, sin and Satan, not a word. It surely took that kind of turn when what should not have did occur. Potiphar's bride was out of her mind, but hey, don't we all got a lot to learn? Joseph knows he's not for her, but fleshy feelings got to her. Joseph chose the noble route the master's wife chose not to learn. The Bible says he fought with her like, I ain't getting caught with her. My God's too good to do what's bad. He ran full sprint, did not return. Potiphar's wife would lie and say that Joseph was a dishonest guy, even though we told her no was convicted as if he had actually tried. The lesson here is something I feel like we miss from time to time. We won't always have the best circumstance, but given the chance, God will reply. So once again, the light is dim, or seemingly so, because God is with him. The worst in life does not apply if even in prison you're doing what's right. The warden started to notice that the performance of the new guy was important to run in a better facility. Got an ability, help them afford it. Faith in the Father, the living water, do like a sponge and absorb it. Pride is in front of the fall. Joseph's humility helped them abort it. He was awarded a position above everyone but the warden in an accordance with everything God has told him that was for him. God is our portion. And along with that portion there comes an endorsement to any that ask it of him. Open your vessel, cause he about to pour in. So Joseph did as Joseph does, getting connected like sockets and plugs. In a room full of nothing but convicts and thugs, the next piece of the puzzle from God up above. Met him an inmate that holds up a cup when him and a baker were down on their luck. Pharaoh got angry and locked them both up, guilty or innocent, now they were stuck. After time, there would be a morning come that Joseph sees the pair of guys are paralyzed with where and why they had their dreams. With no one to interpret them, Joseph reassured to them, Interpreting belongs to God and agreed that he would work with them. Vines and grapes are the escape, brighter days affirmative. What lies in wait are darker days for baker, bread and birds for him. The one who bared the cup would live to bear a cup another day. The one who was a baker met his maker in a fateful way. It came to pass and Joseph asked, when free, please speak on my behalf. A plea to people can seem feeble if hope and outcome doesn't match. No one really knows if the case was ever made or not. Maybe didn't care, maybe possible that he forgot. Whatever did occur, we know that Joseph's cell did not unlock, but did it really matter if he mentioned Joseph then or not? For 730 days, Joseph remained locked away. Then Pharaoh had a dream, and the cupbearer, he jogged his brain. He said there was a time he was confined and had a vivid dream, and told a guy to try to analyze the meaning of the scenes. He told the baker he would die, and die is what he did indeed, and told me I'd be free to bear the cup for you for when you drink. Pharaoh told him, fetch the man you take and tell me what I've seen. Then there was Joseph for a close-up date with destiny. Pharaoh told him, Joseph, I've been told of your interpreting. But Joseph told him, without God, my words are not worth anything. But he will let me let you know what he needs you to know from me. So what's your dream? Let's take a seat and let the Holy Spirit speak. After Pharaoh finished, Joseph told him, God has let you in on what you need to do before you notice all the mess you're in. The land will bear a lot, and then a famine gets the best of it. But he has overcome the world. He's got you on the rest of it. Take a portion of the blessing, store it up and walk away. Continue doing this until the bulk of it is stocked away. People die for lack of knowledge when the knowledge comes too late. But knowledge was acquired as for people dying not today. So he left the exchange with the ring and the range to say and do whatever backed up by the Pharaoh's name. Kind of like he did when God was all he had and he remained well in faith, knowing righteousness righteous the likeness of a saint. But the icing on the cake is that he would get to make what would take Every single ounce of Joseph not to break amends in reuniting with his family in a place of prosperity and charity and godly love and grace.
0: what He said, Let's pray. I'm joking. You don't get off that easy. Man, 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 man. That is so good. He wrote every bit of that. Woo. That is so awesome. Well, that was Joseph's story the ups, the downs, the highs, the lows, the roller coaster that is life. Joseph's was. Pretty extreme, and it was documented, but your life is rough too. I know it. I've talked to you, I've prayed with you, I've prayed for you, and I know. And just like God was faithful when it was all said and done to Joseph, God is going to be faithful to you. If you're in the middle of a low, hang on there. He is faithful. If you're sitting on top of the world, I tell you what, enjoy it. But He is faithful. And so I, I want us to understand this: that joy and peace come as we trust God to be faithful to those who come behind us. See, we've titled this week on seeing from the top. And because anybody who's ever ridden a roller coaster, one of the cool things is you do the little click, 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 and you're slowly, you usually begin at the highest point and If uh, you're not completely freaked out, you look around and you see this amazing sight and you can see two great things. You can see farther, you can see the entire surroundings, you can see all the inner workings, you get above all the fences and the hedges that the, the place doesn't want you to see and you see the ugly places. You see the pretty places. You see far beyond where the park borders end. and You begin to see where real life takes place. But you also look back and you see all of those that are still in line, that are coming behind you. And part of what we need to embrace is that when seeing from the top, we got to recognize and see the big picture, the big vision, and also understand that there are people who are coming Behind us and that's is one of the coolest pieces of Joseph's Story to me is that Joseph is there and he gets sold into slavery and his family comes in there the whole family moves the whole Family moves to Egypt leave the place that they had been promised by God As land and move in there why because there was provision and there was care there and they go into that place And Joseph knows that God is going to be faithful well after Joseph is gone. Let's look at Genesis chapter 50, verse 24 and 25. This is the very end of Exodus. It says, and then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm I'm about to die. But God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on an oath to Abraham, Isaac, Isaac. And Jacob, his dad, his granddad, and his great-granddad. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones up from this place. God is going to take you out of this place someday. And don't leave my bones here. I want to be where my family is i want to be in the place of promise even if it's just my bones don't do that and he puts this faithfulness of the promise of god even yet unfulfilled and unfully seen they're still in the place of egypt but he puts it in to the to his to those who come behind him that guess what you have an assignment be looking for the Faithfulness and and the deliverance of God, and when it comes, grab my bones and take them with you. And whether or not they believed God or not, His conviction and His assignment and his, His assignment to them put on them a place to begin to look for it. Put on them a place to begin to look for it. And this doesn't happen for 430 years. Way longer than the United States has been a country. Way longer than we can even wrap our normal minds around. 430 plus years. They stay in a place. In a place of of Egypt where they had not been promised. See, we go back and the first promise takes place in Genesis 15. and I didn't put this in your, in your, (coughs) your bulletin. But there in Genesis 15, God promises Abram. That he is going to t- carry him in to a place and going to give him this place of land. And, and he was going to carry him forward. And then in verse 13, he tells him and says, The Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. And they'll be enslaved and mistreated. But, for, but that... They were going to come out of it. So here in Genesis 15, Abraham is promised the promised land directly from God. This is why it's called the promised land in case you're kind of new to this. You hear, oh, the promised land, the promised land. It's because it was land promised to Abraham. Then it was promised directly to Isaac. Abraham had told Isaac about the promise, but then God speaks directly, (coughs) directly, directly. To Isaac in Genesis 26. And in Genesis 26, he goes, uh, he's there on his journey, and he tells him, Don't go down to Egypt. Don't go down there. There was a famine during the time of Abraham, a big famine. There was a famine during the time of Isaac, and then obviously we've been studying the famine during the time of Jacob. All three of them dealt with lack. And Isaac is told specifically, don't go down to Egypt. Don't live in that land. And so, but he takes care of him and he promises him that he's going to give his children this land, this promised land that we know of as the land of Israel. Then in Genesis 28, he promises it to Jacob as well. And Jacob is sitting there and he's on a journey and he... He sits there, and he goes to sleep, and he grabs a rock as a pillow. you you got to be tired to get a rock as a pillow. And he has this dream, and in this dream, he sees this stairway to heaven. And I probably should have had somebody play on that. And so I don't think it's quite the same thing. And uh, anyways, and so and he sees this, and he comes out of that dream, and God confirms to him. God tells Abraham directly, Isaac directly, and Jacob directly. And this whole time it had been passed on and told to all the boys. I don't know about about Joseph's brothers. I don't know if they took it as seriously as Joseph did. But we have seen how Joseph's belief in God, his his deep belief that God was with him and was going to take care of him, man, was handed down to him. By his father, his grandfather, and his great-grandfather. This was put deep down into his heart. In fact, let's go ahead and look at Genesis 46, verses 1 through 4. It says, So Israel set out with all that was his, and when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to God of his father Isaac. And this is, this is the, uh, a tip of the promised land. He's about to leave out of the land that was promised. And so he's coming out of that and headed in there, and so he's, he takes a moment. It's like it's like, you know, traveling out of Texas and you know you get right to the border and you're like, all right, God, take care of us as we leave this land. And go into foreign places. <laughs> and so and, and you, you just take your little your little pause. Nat prays it every week as he goes into New Mexico. And so, Lord help me as I go into foreign plants. And so He's there and says, and God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am. He replied, I am God, the God of your father. He said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. And then we get through the rest of Genesis we fast forward the 430-something years into Exodus, the next book of the Bible. As they wander around, they come out of Egypt and all the miracles that you know of, of the parting of the Red Sea and the plagues and all the stuff. And they, they come out, an entire nation. They go in as 70 people and they come out 430 years later as millions of people all looking for the, for the promise of God. And they come out and then they wander in the, the wilderness for a period of time. And then Moses dies and, and a guy named Joshua takes over the lead and he carries them into the promised land. And in the very last chapter of the book of Joshua, they've gone in, they've taken most of the promised land. There's some places of peace. Then in, in verse 32, it says, in Joseph's bones... Which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt were buried at Shechem in the tract of land that Jacob, his father, had bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, and this became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. So here, his conviction, they followed his orders all those centuries later. And they got his bones and they had carried them as they wandered the Egypt. Every place that they went, they carried them. And they finally, when they entered in, in the fulfillment of the promise of God, what took place, his bones were finally put in a place of rest. But his faith. And, and what he had required and asked of the generations behind him kept it all tied together. The promise made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Joseph grabbed a hold of that promise and he reached forward to the generation that was going to see the promise. And he grabbed a hold of both of those and said, God is going to be faithful and it's going to happen for you. And I want you to take these bones with you. And his faith bridged Those two things. And whether or not they had faith in all the time and the slavery and all that they saw and the the desperation they saw in Egypt. Joseph's faith was at work and it was passed down and told from generation to generation to generation. One day, God is going to get us out of here. And remember, take Joseph's bones with you. See, our lives should be lived to impact The generations. Guess what? The stories you're going to tell your children and grandchildren, they're the roller coaster stories. Those are the ones you're going to talk about. You're not going to tell them about how awesome your toast came out yesterday. It was perfect. It was just not too light, not too dark. The butter melted perfectly. It was a great day for toast. You're not going to talk about that stuff. You're not going to tell them about your favorite show on Netflix 20 years from now. You're not. You're not going to talk about a bunch of these different things. You're going to talk about the places, the highs of life and the lows of life and the faithfulness of God through every one of those things. Anytime somebody asks to tell, to, for me to tell our story, the Clark story, that the highs and the lows, the roller coaster is what Gets talked about. Man, I'm telling you, you are learning how to trust God and to see His faithfulness in the middle of it. And if you'll embrace those winds and lock them away and be willing to share those with the next generation. Man, I'm telling you, that's how this gets passed forward. We're here in the middle of a continent. Nowhere close to an ocean. On the other side of the planet from where Jesus lived and died, from where he came in as a king all those years ago, thousands of years ago, and we're thousands of miles away, and we are celebrating it and living in the freedom of Christ. Why? Because every generation before us embraced the assignment of Joseph To grab a hold of the promise and a hold of the generations that come behind and to bridge the two together. And say, I'm going to make sure I stay a link in the middle of all of this. Psalm 22 verses 30 and 31 says, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn that he has done it. I can't think about this passage of scripture and not think about one of the amazing roller coaster, gut wrenching stories in part of my family lineage. And that my great great grandfather living in the uh, La Mesa area of, of uh, Texas in the farming community. Um, had Was married, young man, in his, in his 30s. Of course, we didn't have the technology. We didn't have the stuff then. Everything was done by hand. And man, you bring in a harvest and you stick it in your barn and the last thing, you that's your money. That's what you trade everything for. And the last thing in your world, you need is pests to get at it. It's the rats to get at it. And so my great great grandfather was trying to be a diligent man and take care of business. And and we didn't have the all of the 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 warning labels that we have now and the training that we have now. And praise God, we do now. Even though sometimes it feels like it's overdone, but he takes the rat poison and and he goes into the barn and climbs up under the. the the floorboards of the barn, and he crawls up in there, and he opens the the can of rat poison, and at that time, there happens to be a good old West Texas gust of wind come through and shoot right through under the barn, and blew all that stuff up in his face, and so he crawls out, and he gets all this in his lungs, and, and doctors and hospitals are not what they were all those years ago, and and pneumonia sets in and infection sets in and the poison begins to have its way. And he knows um, his days are numbered. He, he's, he's done. He can't sleep. He has to sit in a rocking chair. And they in their, their one room home. And he has a, a young wife and young children. And my great-grandfather can never tell a story without just crying. He said, you remember, he was five years old and... He, was, he got called in, and he's standing there at the, the, the foot of the bed. And he, he's holding on to the, to the post of the bed. And uh, his daddy is telling him, kids, I, I'm, I'm not going to make it. And he begins to, to pray over them. And he begins to pray over his wife. And begins to pray that God would bring a man into his wife's life. Who would love her like he loved her. And love his children like he loved his children. And we didn't have the programs we have now. Women didn't have the opportunities they have now. And and it was just a desperate situation. And he begins to pray over them. And he prayed over them. And then he prayed over the next generation that would come after them. And he prayed all the future generations. that, That they would understand who Jesus Christ was. And what he had done. And that. That, that, that his children would choose him and follow him, prayed for them, and there was his dying prayer was, was for his family to be cared for, and that a loving man would come in, and that the hearts of his lineage would be open to Christ. And as I sit here and I, I look at my children, and I look at them loving God and serving God, I'm so thankful for a heritage of generations before. Then in the middle of what could have been their lowest moment, God, where are you? I'm a young man. I've got responsibilities. And he grabbed a hold of the faithfulness of God more than he grabbed a hold of the, tr- the weight of the tragedy. And he spoke life into that family. And sure enough, man comes in about a year later or so, begins to court my great-great-grandmother comes in and is a wonderful husband to her a wonderful stepdad to my great grandfather and I was talking to my mom about this story the other day she can't think of somebody on that side of the family that doesn't have a relationship with God that has not understood who Jesus Christ is see folks in the middle of our ups and our downs God God's faithfulness is bigger Than the tragedies. God's faithfulness is bigger. Than the mess. And there can be beautiful things. Come out of the ugliest things we can imagine. If we'll dare to invite God. Into those moments. That is the story of Joseph. Over and over again. Whether he was threatened by his family. And sold as a slave. And he has no rights as a slave. And he loves God. And we see him. Over and over again, embrace and believe that God was with him and would make a difference. Psalms 145, verse 2 through 5 says, Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. No generation commends your works or one generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. Not only is do we see this throughout the beautiful generations of the Old Testament, but we also see it here where Paul is talking to Timothy as Christ followers. And there in 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul reminds Timothy, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded, now lives in you also. here is this beautiful, multi-generational thing of Christ followers and people who have taken their faith and have bridged it to the next generation. In fact, Paul uses this concept and sets it up and dovetails it on later in his letter. And we'll read that in chapter 2. It says... You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace. Grab a hold of God's grace. Maybe you're struggling today. Maybe you're having a hard time with this. Maybe you, you look and think, man, what, what I wish I would have done things differently with my children or my grandchildren or my life. And you know what? Let's, let's put all that aside. We can't do anything about yesterday. But you know what? You can do something today. Be strong in the grace. You're forgiven. Today's a fresh day. And you can begin to make a generational impact today. Be strong in the grace that is Christ, that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. He is putting in him a multi-generational mindset he, would, he traces his lineage back two generations, his grandmother and his mother. And now Paul's telling him, you carry it two more generations. Find faithful men and pour into them who will teach others too. And if we will keep thinking two, three generations ahead, I'm telling you, we can make a difference. I know it can be frustrating to see our culture. And anybody who's over 50 in this room who's been serving God for a long time, it breaks your heart. To see the culture that we have, and we do not have the same world that you got to cut your teeth as a Christ follower in, and it's heartbreaking. It is. It's heartbreaking. But you know what? It's not the end. It's not the end. In fact, true Christianity has flourished, flourished in oppressive environments. It's flourished. This isn't the end. Just because our culture is turning their back on God, to them, me, we do. That I mean, we give up hope. We keep pouring in to the next generation. I love Revelation 12. It says, then I heard a voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah, the authority of Jesus. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Satan literally means accuser. Satan has been hurled down. It says, and they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb, what Jesus Christ has done. Jesus is that lamb of God. His blood is what has made the difference. And by the word of their testimony. By sharing what God has done in their lives. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. I tell you what, I've had a lot of ancestors who've been on this planet. You have too, but there's not very many stories I know and tell. And the one of my great-great-grandfather who spoke life over me and looked down the generations and thought of me and prayed for me. I think about him and I pray for him and I'm thankful for what God has done. See, Hebrews 10.23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful. Our bottom line today is your faith can impact future generations. This isn't just about you today. Your ups and downs, you learning how to ride the roller coaster will change your legacy. It will change it. To trust God in the middle of it. It will change your legacy. It will change everything that comes behind. And we we want to say, God, start here. God, carry on from here. I don't want to be a dead end on any front. You've been faithful. And I choose to be a part of that continued flow of grace. See, joy in life is found in trusting God through the twists and the turns. God is good. And he loves you. And right now, I want to just pray over you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for every person under the sound of my voice. I thank you, Lord, for your love for them. And that because you first loved them, they now can respond from a place of love. I thank you, Lord, for all of the prayers from future generations that have impacted their lives, Lord. There may be some people here shaking their head and saying, Nobody prayed for me. I dare say it's not true. It may have to go back a few generations and they may not know their names, but they've been prayed for. They've been prayed for. There's a heritage. There's a place of, of a connection with you, Heavenly Father. And Lord, I thank you that we begin to see the big picture. Lord, that life isn't all about us, but it does include us. It isn't all about just revolving around our wants and desires, Heavenly Father, Lord, but about us getting connected with your heart. And Lord, and I just, I pray over all of us, Lord, that We would not be distracted by all the the twists and turns, Heavenly Father. But we would see the big picture. We would see, Heavenly Father, how big you are and how glorious you are. And we would look back and we would see all those coming behind us, Heavenly Father. Lord, and we would bridge. We would bridge the two. Lord, I pray for family relations right now. There are some who are just uncomfortable. That relationships with their parents aren't good. Relationships with extended family aren't good. Relationship with children isn't good. And we hold on to your grace, Heavenly Father. We begin to say, Lord, make a way. Lord, make a way. Lord, we know that you're faithful. Lord, we th- begin to look to you. Not our own strategies or our own will, but for you to be at work. Your Holy Spirit to make a way. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find
1: us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.